The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a special installment of Barron's Live. My name is Ali Coram. I'm multimedia content editor at Investors Business Daily, and I'm joined today by Justin Nielsen, our market research director. And today, since it's Friday the 13th, we thought we'd take a look at some stock market myths and superstitions. Uh, a lot can be applicable to the current market that we're seeing. So not only are we going to be talking about these concepts, but also providing some actionable takeaways, Justin. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it has been a little bit of a horror show in the market lately. So we'll definitely tackle a lot of these topics in terms of what do you do when the market corrects like this? How do you protect yourself? Um, there's a lot of the conventional wisdom that tells you, oh, you can't time the market. You can't do this. You can't do this. But uh, I, I don't know. I think that there's a lot of ways in which you can protect yourself and uh, a lot of ways in which we go against the conventional wisdom. And that's how you get unconventional results. Exactly. So we're going to debunk some of these stock market myths here. And also, uh, we look forward to answering some of our viewer questions as well. And we'll also uh, analyze current market conditions because, of course, I'm sure the audience wants to know, what do I do on a day like today where you know, the market's trying to find a bottom and we are starting to see a bounce? So definitely want to provide those actual takeaways. So, Justin, let's dive right in. We have seven myths and superstitions to discuss. Lucky seven. <laughs> yeah, lucky to try to combat some of the, you know, superstitious nature here, get some luck in there. So first, as you alluded to, you can't time the market. That's what a lot of people say, you know, you, in times like this, just you should just hold because it, trying to time the market is not uh, a winning game. So you should just hold and stay in the market. Right. And I think there's there's two ways in which people approach this a lot of times. One is that for mutual funds, for the big institutional investors, uh, they got into a situation where some of them were trying to time the market, right? And they've got their bosses. The portfolio managers have their bosses. And what the bosses recognized is, okay, look, if you're wrong, then you're going to underperform the peers. The money is going to flow out. And so it was more of a command, not, not more than anything, where the upper echelon was saying to the portfolio managers, you can't time the market because the risk is too much of us losing uh, performance versus our peers. And again, that leads to loss of money, loss of fees, et cetera. So that's one part. The other part is you have all these studies that come out and, and it, it makes sense when you look at these studies and you say, well, gosh, if you aren't in in these top 10 days, you know, if you just look at the biggest days of the of the market and you're not in those days, well, then you lose so much ground. And on, on the face of it, that makes sense. It's like, OK, well, how can I argue with the data? But you always have to be careful when someone, you know, cherry picks the data. And when you look at the top 10 days and I'm just going to use the Nasdaq composite, for example. So going back to 1973, and it's important that you look at the percentage gain, not just the, the, the point, you know, because a lot of people will say, oh, well, oh my gosh, we're down 100 points. Well, versus what? How big is the index? So this is the top percentage gains 
in the NASDAQ. And yes, if you miss out on these gains, um, it's you, you lose out on performance. But when you lose out on these gains, you're typically losing out on some of the worst days that we have in our history. Because just notice something about these days and see if the years at least sound familiar in terms of what was going on in the market. So we've got May 2000, we've got October 2000, December 2000, January 2001, April 2001, April 2001. Okay, so that's all taking place during one of the worst bear markets in history when the NASDAQ composite was down 79% from its March peak to its October 02 low. Uh, so, uh, you know, almost a three-year bear market because it wasn't until March 2003 that things really started moving again. So yeah, you missed out on those top 10 days, but gosh, if you're going to miss out on 10 days, it better be during the times when it's uh, a, a time when the NASDAQ was down 79%. So I'll take that. I'll take that risk of missing out on those days if I'm going to miss all the days around it that are down even more a lot of times. Uh, the other areas that you kind of see gravitating towards there, uh, 2008. There's a number of days in 2008. And then most recently, we've got these two new additions that just got into the top 10 a couple years ago, March of 2020. What was going on then? It was the COVID crash. So that, for example, on that 13th, the 13th of March, uh, we were up 9% that day. And so a lot of people could say, well, gosh, if you missed that day, man, you know, you, you were really behind the eight ball. But the next day, it was down 12%. So it was okay to miss that day as long as you were missing the downside too. So I think it's a little bit dishonest to just say, oh, well, if you take out the top 10 days, you're going to miss out on all this performance because the truth is you miss out on a lot of the underperformance as well. Um, so for us, we, we believe you can time the market. There's a number of factors you can look at, whether it's the market indexes, where it's the individual stocks, where you see gosh, nothing is setting up, nothing is working. There's the market feedback mechanism of, hey, I'm not making money, I'm not making progress. And that kind of lets you know, maybe I should slow down. Um, but certainly in a market like this, we've been arguably in a bear market since February of 2021. It wasn't showing up in the indexes originally, but we were seeing it in the individual stocks. And now that we are seeing it in the indexes and those have cracked, um, a lot of times, you know, they, they eventually get everything, right? Uh, Apple was holding on for a long time, but hey, that's showing cracks now. So what do you do in a market correction? Well, sometimes if you just have a larger cash position, sometimes I'll be in all cash mm -hmm. and that makes it easy, right? You're not panicking. You're not having to, you know, wring your hands and say, oh my gosh, I hope I don't lose any more money. You're out and you're waiting for a better opportunity to make money and you're sitting out these environments where it just is really hard to make any headway. So rather than have that risk, you just sit it out. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, a lot of voices out there, you know, going on network television or tweeting about you know, calling bottoms and, and things like that, or, you know, or going back to COVID, the opposite. Um, you know, there's no way that we can turn around from here. The market's definitely going to going to continue falling. Um, if you just listen to the voices and the headlines out there, um, that's not going to help you time the market. What's going to help time the market is by looking at the technicals. And as you said, if you were using the technical action at, of the major indexes and leading stocks as your guide this year, uh, being in cash, you would have been led to that because of the technical signals that we saw.
Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we're looking at relative strength lines. We're looking at, hey, which stocks are the ones that are outperforming the S&P 500? And even for this year, that was clearly not in the names from before. I mean, if you look at uh, what really led 2020, the Zoom videos, the DocuSigns, the Shopify's, uh, all of those, that was not what was leading in, in 2021 and certainly not this year. Um, you know, this year it has been a lot of the commodity and cyclical plays. This is, um, you know, the oil, energy, coal, uh, you know, I mean, we've been talking about wheat lately. Um, it's, it's a lot of these commodities, the steels, the, the fertilizers. Uh, this is where the action has been this year. Uh, that's where the relative strength has been. And so you also, this is one of the things, I mean, you know, we can add this, this myth on there that buy and hold is what it's all about. And look, there's a lot of cases where buy and hold can get you in a lot of trouble because when these stocks top, the average, and this is, we've got a lot of studies on this, the average drop of these market former market leaders after they top, the average is 72%. That's not just in a dot-com bubble or a great financial crisis. That's with data going back to the, the 1930s and even before that. So uh, th this is this is just something you have to understand about these stocks is creative destruction, right? That the, There's that economic principle that, that you're constantly replacing the innovators with new innovators. And if you're not willing to adapt and change and move into what the new innovator is, you're going to miss out. Even the indexes, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, there's not a single stock in there that right. has been held the entire time, whether through acquisitions or they move into, hey, instead of being in uh, Alcoa, now we've got Apple. You know, that there's always that movement in the indexes, S&P 500 as well. You see the rebalance, new names coming on. So there's always, um, there's always something else to be looking at, uh, newer names, and those are the ones that are going to provide you the most uh, bang for your buck in a lot of time, in, in a lot of cases. Exactly. So myth number one, you can't time the market uh, using technical action. You you can't. And uh, so going back on that, that's why we like looking at uh, follow through days. So when we are in a in a market correction, um, we are in cash, but uh, there's always a chance of a, of a new market rally. And uh, quickly, Justin, that's why we, we look for a follow through day. So can mm -hmm. you provide some analysis for uh, what we're seeing now? Yeah, so th th this is where one day is great. And that kind of gives you a sense, hey, maybe the buyers are coming back in, but you need a confirmation of the rally. So that's why we don't pay attention to just one day. So let's take Let's take the current market, for instance. Um, if we look at to, you know, if we look at yesterday's action, that would be day one of a rally attempt. We were able to close positive. We closed in the sixty percent trading range. If you look at the low of the day is zero percent, the high of the day is one hundred percent. It was right around the sixty percent trading range. So we closed well off the lows. Um, we weren't up that much, but we were able to gain some ground. Um, or more likely just be off the lows. So that becomes day one of your rally attempt. Now, what we do is we start counting. So that's day one. Today is day two. Day three will be on Monday. Day four will be on Tuesday. Once we get day four, what we're looking for is a confirmation of that initial rally. Think of it like geometry, right? You need two points in order to make a line. And if you're saying that the line has turned from this downtrend to an uptrend, well, you need two points. Point number one is your rally day. 
Point number two is your follow-through day. And what we're looking for is a day of strength. So we'll want to see something where the price of the index is up 1%, 1.25%, or even more. And we want to see some volume behind it. So if you get those two elements, that lets you know the market has potentially changed. But what you also have to be aware of is, hey, are there stocks that are setting up? Are there stocks that are looking like they've tightened up? We've got a lot of volatility lately. I'd like to see some of this tighten up. So when you have the market indexes and stocks also setting up, that's kind of your winning combination to say, hey, I can start dipping my toes back in the water. But we always go slow and we let the market provide feedback. So when you do buy maybe a stock or two on the follow through day, you wait and you see, okay, is, am I making progress? Am I making money? And it's very simple. Either your decisions are working or they're not. If they're not working, don't put more money in. You just wait and say, okay, let me, let me see if we're tightening up, if we're getting more setups. Um, but if they are working, then you're making money and you can put more money to work. And that's how you get in, invested. You have to realize sometimes these market rallies, you can have a follow through day that works, but it only works temporarily. We can go back to March 16th of this year. What we had there is actually that was on the S&P 500. So you can see how we had that rally day. It was the, the February 24th, big, big reversal on that day. And we never undercut that low. So that rally attempt was still in place. And it took all the way until March 16th for us to finally get a day of power on heavier volume than the day before. And that was the follow-through day. It so the four-day, just jumping in here real quickly. So right. that fourth day isn't the automatic of the rally attempt right. isn't automatically a follow-through day. Good There's point. certain requirements. Yes. Yeah. Most, I would say a lot of the most powerful rallies, rallies will fall between the fourth and the seventh or um, even up to the twelfth day. Uh, you don't get as many after that, but you can still have some very powerful rallies that start with a day that is, you know, much, much, much greater than number four. So that's a very good point, Allie. And in this case, um, you, you saw exactly that. The market did pull back. It never undercut that February 24th low. And March 16th ended up being the day where we had a follow-through day. Now, there was also some a lot of news that day. Um, I, think, I think we were talking about it at, at the time on Stock Market Today when you had, I, I believe, the Fed meeting was going on. I think China was coming out with some uh, possible compromises uh, with, with regulators in terms of getting the financials into the accounting standards of the SEC so that Chinese companies didn't get delisted. You had Zelensky, I believe, uh, um, addressing Congress on that day. There was a lot going on. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, it was a powerful day. And there was a powerful rally that followed, but it didn't last. So this is where you have to be very careful. Um, and I would also say that rally was really led by a lot of bottom fishing. It was some of those stocks, Shopify, which is down 75% or more, uh, had like a 40% move in that week. Um, so you did have some of that bottom fishing, but we tend to go towards where the strength has been, uh, not where the strength used to be and where, the, where the, the, the charts have been decimated. So you can see that rally just didn't last for a lot of these stocks. It did do a little bit better in the commodities, um, but we... You know, mm -hmm. it, it was it was short lived. 
Right. And so clearly market timing is a huge factor in our our buying and selling and how we're positioned in the market. So that's definitely why we wanted to spend a good amount of time on uh, that myth there. Justin, you also mentioned uh, the myth of stocks always stocks always come back and uh, markets do, as you mentioned, not not necessarily the stocks. And so uh, kind of along that thread, too, we just showed Shopify. Uh, another common myth out there is you know, if it's a if it's a solid company, if you know, you have the, the story there, it's mm -hmm. OK to buy it in a downtrend. It's OK to, to buy the dip. Uh, because uh, you know, dollar cost averaging will will keep you in a stock that should be good for the right. long run. And and this is where I just I just have to be a little bit humble and say, look, I'm I'm not smart enough to always know how these trends are changing and everything like that. But you do have a way of looking at what the mass psychology is telling you, and that's that's what charts do. It shows you that mass psychology. It tells you, hey, is this something where the the story is still believed, where there's still confidence in it? Um, is this something that is attracting buyers? And look, Cisco back back in you know 2000. Uh, let's just use that as an example because it had this phenomenal run in the 1990s. I mean, it was like 75,000 percent over that decade, and just a a, a huge winner. And this was still pretty early on with the internet. So networking was still very top of mind in 2000. But you had this go from $80 down to single digits. And here we are over 20 years later, and this still hasn't gotten back up to the price it was back in 2000. It, it's, it's taken this long just to kind of get almost there. Um, Microsoft, another one that Microsoft, uh, uh, arguably a phenomenal company, but when it topped in 2000, it took it a very long time to come back. And granted, a lot of what was fueling this was that they did reinvent themselves to a degree. They were really getting into the cloud computing um, and, and a lot of other things than what had driven their growth in the 90s. So you have to look at those companies that are able to reinvent themselves, come back to lead in another cycle. But there's a lot of companies that don't. Uh, sometimes it's interesting to look at the leaders from the past because you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that stock. Whatever happened to it? Nortel Networks. That was a big stock back then. And no one talks about Nor Nortel Networks anymore because it, it got sold for parts. Um, Enron. I mean, you know, you have these scandals of what you thought was a good company but it had funny numbers and it's funny because a lot of times the that action you know will show up in the chart the selling will show up in the chart early on you don't have to wait for that thing to go to zero before you get out so um the 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 buying on the dips what's what's disconcerting about it is that a lot of times it will work it'll work over and over and over again but then when it doesn't it fails spectacularly. And this is where if you don't have risk management principles in place, you can get very, very hurt. And that's what we really want to avoid. You always have to have your risk management rules in place so that you can come back. So if you're going to buy on a dip, okay, that's fine. But you have to have your line in the sand of where you get out and say, hey, I was wrong. I might be right on the company, but wrong on my timing. Or I might just be wrong on my assessment of the company. So you you just can't always think that the stocks are going to come back because there's no guarantee. Um, markets, 
they tend to come back. If you want a dollar cost average on the S&P 500, fine. That's, I think, a reasonable strategy. Um, do it in your mutual funds, you know, do it on the ETF, the spider, you know, SPY, fine. But individual stocks, right. I think it's just way too dangerous. Exactly. We we like buying uh, on the dips in the context of an uptrend with a pullback to a logical level, uh, primarily a, a moving average, like the 50-day moving average or 10-week or moving average. And so to your point, Justin, Michael asked, with retirement accounts going down, with mutual fund investments, do you hold those or do you sell and, and go to cash? And, and exactly like you're saying, if you are in a broadly diversified fund and you have a time horizon of 10 to 15 to 20 you know, 20 years, uh, that's a completely different strategy than mm -hmm. with your individual stocks. Absolutely. So you can treat it differently. It's a different animal. And if you want to hold on to that, in fact, Bill O'Neill, the chairman and founder of Investors Business Daily, he wrote a book called How to Make Money in Stocks. A lot of people consider this one of the, the seminal works on being able to figure out the stock market. And he has a chapter in there, Making a Million in Mutual Funds. And he's you know, here's a guy that is not about buy and hold at all, but he says for mutual funds, um, if you want to do that, that's fine. If you want a dollar cost average, in fact, when it's down 30%, hey, if you can, you know, buy some more. As long as your time horizon is long enough, you can expect that that will probably eventually come back and it'll be just fine. You know, so again, in mutual funds, that's fine. Individual stocks, I would never do that. All right. Uh, so let's keep this train moving here on the myths and superstitions. Justin, what about uh, the saying out there of diversification? That is what is going to keep you safe. As long as your portfolio is diversified, you're good to go. Well, I think what people don't realize sometimes is that the diversification can give you a false sense of security. Um, you, you, you usually think of diversification as being an uncorrelated assets. And so, oh, when this is when this is in favor, this might be out of favor and you're you're kind of evening out, out your risk that way. But what a lot of people don't realize is that when you have these crisis situations, look back to 2000, look back to 2008, even look back to now, um, rather than having, oh, you've got a, a whole segment of the market that's working. Um, a lot of times what happens is you'll have this correlation of crisis where these usually uncorrelated things will start correlating a lot more. So what does that mean? They start moving together. Everything is moving down. Or sometimes you get it the other way where everything is moving up and that can make you feel like a genius because everything you touch is gold, but it's not your genius. It's just that the correlation is making it so that a lot of things are going up at the same time. So you just have to recognize that and understand that diversification doesn't mean that you're not going to lose money. Uh, you can lose a lot of money. I mean, again, just look at the market indexes. Those are diversified, but still go down quite a bit in market corrections. So you just have to understand that you're not going to be spared that. So if you can get back into some of those market timing principles, you might be able to spare yourself some of that downside um, with your individual stocks. And then when the dust settles, a lot of times there's a whole new crop of new winners and you can start putting your money to work in those. Mm -hmm. And so a couple of uh, interesting things to point out here too is even though we've seen broad market weakness for much of 2022, underneath the surface, we have seen pockets of strength. A lot of commodity names have, yeah. have done pretty well, uh, but you can't just be 
also diversified in commodities because speaking of correlations, <laughs> right. you know, if you have a mining stock and a steel stock and an oil stock and a lithium stock, uh, you're not as uh, diversified as you might think. And we've even seen some weakness in a number of those leading areas in recent weeks. Yeah. Th th then what happens is you're getting, you're getting a lot of weight in a specific sector. And so that, works great as long as that's in favor but once that gets out of favor well guess what now now you've got a very concentrated position uh in in a particular sector so we don't have a problem at investors business daily kind of advocating being in concentrated positions but this is where again you have to have very strong risk management principles because when you're doing concentrated positions this is the way that you can really upgrade your your performance because when you're right you're really right but you have to have very solid risk management principles because if you're wrong you need to be able to recognize that very quickly before you take an outsized loss mm -hmm. and as a reminder we are scanning the q a for your questions we'll try to get to a couple of those in a, sort of a rapid fire section at the end here but just wanted to remind everyone of that uh also so let's continue this journey justin though there's a someone a very famous talking head out there that likes to say there's always a, a bull market somewhere uh what say you to that that can be true. Um, and a lot of times you'll see, hey, you know, maybe everything is not working, but there is this segment that is working. Um, but what you have to ask yourself, number one, if most things aren't working and most things are going against you, how lucky do you feel that you're going to find the stuff that is working? You know, you've, you've got a lot of things going against you. The odds are just not in your favor. You're swimming upstream. Mm -hmm. It's a lot harder. And I will also tell you, that when the market is going against you, I mean, the market indexes, I mean, three out of four stocks are going to follow the market index. Just, you know, that, that, that's just kind of the way it works generally. So if you do find that segment where there's a bull market in this small segment when most of the market is down, what tends to happen is you don't get the same returns as you do in an uptrend. In an uptrend, when the market is in, you know, that's the wind at your back kind of thing. And it's making it so that you can get better gains with lower risk, you you start investing in a market downtrend and you've got higher risk because again, a lot of times they come after everything. You got higher risk and a lot of times the returns on where that bull market might be will be smaller. I mean, look right now, okay, the commodities I think are a big exception. We've seen a lot of strength there. But right now where I'm seeing a lot of relative strength it's in like food stocks like Tyson and Mondelez, you know, you Very make Oreos, <laughs> right. Very ah. defensive. So sure, maybe they have relative strength because they're not participating as much on the downtrend, but are they really going to be what, you know, adds a lot of wealth to your, your portfolio? Probably not. They're not going to have the gains of, say, a Tesla that we saw a couple of years ago or a Shopify. You're, you're just in a very different realm. So you're, you're putting on this risk, but not getting the same type of reward. So, uh, yeah, there might be a bull market somewhere, but number one, are you going to be able to figure out where that is and go against that trend of what everything else is doing? And number two, is it going to be even worth your while? Um, Mark Minervini, one of the frequent guests on our show, uh, IBD Live, will often say, hey, this is a hard penny environment. And when mm -hmm. it becomes so hard just to make pennies, that's not necessarily the best for your mental capital, for your portfolio. Um, he'd rather be in a market where 
you're picking up dollars, not scrambling to try and just pick up small pennies. Mm -hmm. And so with the defensive stocks that you're mentioning, uh, you know, Bill and others in our audience are asking, well, you know, if I really want to be putting some money to work, can I invest in dividend stocks? But uh, there are some things to know about that too, Justin. Absolutely. I mean, you know, dividend stocks a lot of times do provide greater price stability. You know, those stocks do tend to be more price stable um, and you get the dividend on top of that, which is just kind of gravy, right? Uh, especially when the market is going down. But here's my caution. If you're getting a 3% dividend, a 4% dividend um, yield, and that's for the year. And if you have a stock that comes down 10, 20%, well, guess what? That dividend starts becoming meaningless. You, at the end of the day, when you look at your account, you're down, you're down 15, 20%. So you have to keep that in mind. Uh, the dividend is not enough to say, hey, you deserve my money. If you're gonna take on that extra risk of the stock going down, you still have to have your risk management principles in there and have, you know, where do you cut your loss? So the dividend just might not be worth it in a lot of cases because you don't get as much appreciation generally in those stocks. Um, we've seen a lot of exceptions here lately with, I mean, especially the huge dividends that some of the shipping stocks have been, been putting out those special dividends. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, when you do get both, when you get capital appreciation, the, the price move is going up and you're getting the dividend on top of that, that's great. But don't get suckered into, oh, I'm getting this 4% dividend. If your stock is down 20%, you're not winning. You're not making progress. You're not, you're not, you're going the wrong way. Yeah. Very important to keep in mind there. Okay, two more superstitions to review before we get to some questions. So sell in May and, and go away, Justin. We, we hear that a lot, but uh, investors could be missing out on very strong periods of the market. You know, take 2020, for, mm -hmm. for example. That was a huge move that we saw. So if you just uh, sold in May and went away, you would have missed that. Right, exactly. And so, uh, look, there's a lot of data and, and I respect the folks over at Stock Traders Almanac. Uh, Jeff Hirsch is great to talk to. Uh, his father was you know, revolutionary in putting all that data to get together. And I think it's nice to know about those tendencies, but you also have to recognize when you know, when, when something says, hey, 80% of the time it does this, you've got to recognize, hey, is, is this one of those 20% times where I can take advantage of something special here? And as you mentioned, 2020, the, the turn kind of happened in April. That's when the follow through day was. It was on April 2nd for the S&P 500, April 6th, 2020 for the NASDAQ composite. And so if you just said, well, sell and may go away, that's the rule you would have missed out on this phenomenal run that you had. In fact, uh, a lot of times it's October when you start coming back to the market, you know, un under that philosophy. Well, guess what? At, at September, October, that's when it was starting to look a little bit rougher. That's when the market was taking its break from this big, long run. So you have to, you have to look at what the market is actually doing. And this is what is great about charts because charts you study charts and you're looking at the element itself. You know, there's all sorts of things you can look at in terms of indicators and, and, you know, so on. A lot of that can be a lot of noise, but when it comes down to it, if you look at the chart, this is telling you, this is where people are voting with their dollars. And so I'm going to look at that as my primary indicator. I'm aware of these tendencies. I'm aware of these psychological indicators mm -hmm. and it's important to know about them. But when it comes down to it, Price and volume, that's going to be my main indicator because that's, that's studying the element itself and, uh, you know, observing what's happening there. 
Mm -hmm. And another one, this wasn't officially on our list, but one that we can tie in here uh, from uh, someone in our Q&A, uh, Mike, he's saying, well, what about the theory as uh, so goes January for the S&P, the rest of the year will follow suit. So another uh, aspect of seasonality. Absolutely. And, and again, I had Jeff Hirsch on uh, my, my podcast, the Investing with IBD podcast. And yeah, he was talking about laying out what the first five days look like, the January effect. Um, he has what he calls the trifecta. And again, this is a guy with a lot of stock market data uh, to create that stock trader's almanac. And I, I, I agree that the tendency is there. Absolutely. But you have to recognize when you might have a situation where it differs. Um, you know, when, when Jeff Hirsch was on my podcast in January, he was talking about all these elements and a lot of those have come to fruition. Like the January effect wasn't there. It was a negative, um, you know, so you didn't have the trifecta in place. And so he said, okay, we might not get the strong market that, you know, that you would typically get, but understand again, there can be these tendencies, but if something is an 80% chance of success, there's that 20% that it goes the other way. So you have to recognize when you're in that 20% situation and act accordingly. That's right. And uh, another superstition on our list to tackle here, Justin, uh, I can't sell my stock because I don't want to pay taxes. So if I just hold, you know, uh, to get a long-term gain or, you know, through the next year or what have you, uh, then I will be better off. Yeah. I'm not going to say that taxes never matter, but I will tell you that looking at Bill O'Neill, who was a very successful investor, um, there were very few times that he was making decisions based on taxes. Uh, very early on, uh, this was in the 60s when the capital gains rate was like 90%. Uh, I, I do think he made some decisions based on taxes, uh, especially since the long-term capital gain was six months back then. So, um, But when I was working for him as his assistant for years and years, he just said, look, I, 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 I'm I'd rather pay my taxes than sit with a stock that has obviously got some signs of trouble. And if I wait long enough, I might not have a tax problem to worry about because I don't have any capital gains. So you don't want to get, get yourself into that situation. So a lot of times he was just like, hey, I'm going to take the tax hit. Um, you know, you can certainly time it if it makes sense for you or if you're really close to that long-term capital gain. Sure, I can understand making some decisions based on taxes, but overall, don't sit with something just because you are afraid to take the tax hit because if you wait long enough, you might not have any gains at all. And that's not going to help you. Mm -hmm. It's not. Okay, so let's uh, kind of recap the seven myths and superstitions. So I'm going to give the myth and Justin, you're going to quickly give me the reality. So you can't time the market. Absolutely, you can. You just have to have some rules in place for looking at charts and act accordingly. Stocks always come back. Not necessarily. There's so many stocks that are in the in the dust heap of history that were fabulous companies that you just don't talk about anymore. And everyone remembers the success stories, the ones that keep on coming back, but you forget about those that don't. So uh, there's no guarantees. Markets come back, stocks not necessarily. All right. Well, I should just buy on the dips because that's the strategy that's always going to work. It works great a lot of times, but when it doesn't, it can fail spectacularly. So you have to have risk management rules in place and recognize when the market has changed. That works great in an uptrend when you've got pullbacks happening, but when the market has changed to a downtrend, those dips 
are just these fake rallies and it just goes lower. So uh, it can be a very dangerous strategy in the wrong environment. Mm -hmm. And as long as my portfolio is diversified, that means my portfolio is safe and good to go. No such thing as safe in the stock market. Uh, diversification can fall prey to uh, huge correlations, especially in crises. And so that's where sometimes having a larger cash position during those downtrends uh, can give you a little bit more safety because you're just not going to participate in the downtrend that everything is getting hit by. And Justin, uh, another myth or, or superstition to give a little insight into, there's always a bull market somewhere. Sure, but it could be a lot tougher finding those stocks. And if you're taking a lot of chances on finding those stocks, you might find that overall you're making a net loss to your portfolio because of all of the ones that don't work. The odds are against you, so you just have to be very careful in that situation that you're not losing ground because you're trying to find the pennies and you're losing dollars. Mm -hmm. And sell in May and go away. It works most of the time, but you have to be aware of those times where you've got something working differently. And so I don't think it's a blanket statement. It's one of those things. Uh, know the tendency, but always look at the chart because the chart is going to tell you what's happening this time. Exactly. And last for our recap, I'm not going to sell because I don't want to take the tax hit. Well, if you wait long enough, sometimes you won't have to worry about the taxes because you've got a loss. So don't wait that long. Um, always look at your, your stocks themselves. And hey, sometimes you're just going to have to take the tax hit. You're doing your part for America. All right. That was a fantastic recap. Well done there, Justin. So I hope that was helpful for everyone. Now let's get to some viewer questions here. We have a couple minutes left. So Joseph is asking about, so speaking of, uh, you know, building a portfolio, we've talked about diversification. Well, this question is uh, about position size. He wants to learn more about the correct allocation for portfolio, what percentage should be allocated for a particular trade. Mm -hmm. Well, we tend to look at the portfolio risk of each trade. So we have two levers that we look at, and it just comes down to math, right? This is, uh, this is where you can use a little bit of algebra, a little bit of math to kind of figure out, okay, if my risk percentage is, let's say, 8%, then what kind of position size um, would be okay for me to only risk 1% of my portfolio? And well, that might come out to about 12.5%. So that can make it so that if as long as you cut your loss at 8%, um, you can have a 12.5% position and not find yourself getting in a lot of trouble. Actually, you know what, just to make it easier, let's say 10%, yeah. uh, yeah, a 10% drop, 10% uh, portfolio position. So, right, you're, you're risking 1% of your portfolio and you can come back from that. But you also have to recognize that a lot of times what's going to happen is not just one stock is going to be coming down. A lot of them are going to be coming down. And we never espouse that we're going to get you out at the top. That's just, that, that's kind of a fool's dream. Um, but if you can get out close, if you can get out within 5 10%, you're doing really, really well, especially for some of these big winners. So mm -hmm. you, you're looking for getting those outsized gains because a lot of those gains can just wipe out a lot of small losses as long as you keep the losses small and as long as you're not letting your portfolio get hit too much. You can have concentrated positions, um, but you have to have those risk management principles in place. So risk management, what is your risk? Position size accordingly so that you don't lose too much in your portfolio. 
Great. Okay. And uh, so kind of on that note, in terms of selling, Edwin is asking, when should I sell a winner before it tanks? So what, what are some of the triggers to look for? Maybe we can uh, look at an example here. I can pull up anything you want, Justin, but we were talking about steel stocks. Uh, they mm -hmm. had a, a great move earlier in the year. What perhaps might be some sell signals to look for? Well, I'll, I'll go to a, a stock that I traded not too long ago in mode, INMD as the ticker symbol. Um, what was happening here, and and you can see what I, I wanted to show this one because you see the aftermath. Um, yeah. So if and you probably know exactly where I'm talking about here, Allie. There was that point where it really kind of broke its uptrend. It got really extended. It had this phenomenal move, and then it started really going vertical. And so I was selling into that strength. And look, I, I thought I was a genius because you know the next week it was down sharply, but then it came right back into new highs. But I, I just was a little nervous because when you see something climax like that, we call it a climactic action or climax top. When you see something do that, it usually takes a lot longer to recover. Uh, and and, and it, it doesn't necessarily work out as great. So that's one element of selling into strength. I sold my whole position into that strength. And then, yes, I watched it go up a little bit higher. But just a few weeks later, there it was right back where I sold it. And it's been going down ever since. So it makes you kind of feel really smart when you're selling something in the 90s and it's trading at in the 20s. Um, you know, and, and that's one of the benefits of selling into strength. It's hard to do, though, because when it was going up that much, it's hard not to say, well, gosh, yeah. if I just get a couple more weeks like this, I might be able to you know, retire on my own island. Um, so you have to kind of make sure that you're keeping those emotions in check. Um, and it doesn't have to be all or nothing you can sell a portion into that strength and then maybe use one of your moving average lines like the 10 week moving average line to sell the remainder. Once that did break solidly below that 10 week moving average line, the stock was really getting in trouble, but it could have gotten you out a lot earlier than waiting for the destruction that happened. Mm -hmm. Okay, great review of some sell signals there. So uh, Jason's asking if basically if we get a bear market rally, how far could we expect uh, a move to go? And I mean, I mean, that's what we saw in mid March, it was mm -hmm. only a couple of weeks. Yeah, so this is where I try not to project too much on what you know, how far I expect it to go. Um, as as a basis, you know, if you look at the NASDAQ composite, I would say, look at the 21 day moving average line as kind of a first stop, uh, a rally up there, we could rally as high as the 50 day moving average line. That's the red line on this chart. Uh, that would get us back above 13,000. But if we do get up to that level, especially if we do it very quickly, I'd be very nervous. I'd be looking for a potential turn. Um, and I, I did notice that in the, in the questions, you know, people were asking about, well, how do I take advantage of uh, this downturn? How do I make money in it? Number one, don't feel like you have to make money all the time. You know, I mean, sh sure, shorting is one way to take advantage, but that's a lot more difficult. But if I saw a rally into those levels and then a failure, then I'd be looking for a lot more p short potentials. Um, that's what we saw in March, right? We got all the way up to the 200-day moving average line. That's the black line. And that's where we hit our head. And once we started turning, that was an area that you could have done you know, some short plays, but I tend to take my profits much quicker on the short side because you have uh, a lot more risk to the upside and your potential, um, you know, when I say risk to the upside, uh, because short, you're going the opposite way. Mm -hmm. So if it goes up, 
you know, the risk is unlimited on that side, but your reward is limited. So you're never going to get a stock going below zero. Um, so you have to be very careful of that. But as, as again, just to recap, to answer the initial question, mm-hmm. that 21 day is kind of the first stop. If we can get to the 50 day, I think that's the next one. Um, but if we start reversing and getting into trouble there, um, I may be looking to go the other way. Mm-hmm. And uh, as our fellow IBD Live panelist, Scott St. Clair said recently in this market, if you're not losing money, you're winning. You yeah. know, and you always like to say cash is a position. So I, I really like- Penny saved is a penny earned, right? Yeah, you don't <laughs> always have to be trading, especially when the, the tide is going against you. Who knows? We could see that tide turning, uh, but we'll we'll have to see a couple more just quick ones if we could. Jim is asking, are the FANG stocks still top-notch investments or have they fizzled out? No, oh, yeah. I, I haven't been really investing in FANG stocks for a while. I mean, let's just look at uh, Facebook, the the first one, you know, the F. Now it's meta, of course, but we'll just go with the old name. I mean, this is this is off, you know, 50 percent from its highs. So uh, this is not this is not where I want my money. Um, Amazon, that's been struggling for a while. Uh, Netflix, Netflix is down over 70 percent. I mean, this is you know, this is not where I want my money right now. And then mm-hmm. Alphabet looks a little bit, you know, again, they changed their name. It used to be Google, um, but the parent is now Alphabet. This one is actually holding up uh, one of the best uh, out of all of those. Um, but this is still trading below its 200 day line. It's 40 week line. It's very rare that I'm going to be investing in things that are trading mm-hmm. below their 200 day line. Just uh there tends to be more volatility there. Uh, very rare exceptions when I'm buying something under the 200 day. There's just a lot of weakness in those names. That's right. Okay, Justin. Well, of course, there's always more questions that we would love to answer. And we really appreciate everyone tuning in today with some very, very thoughtful questions. Uh, wish we could get to them all, but it was a great session, Justin, and a lot of great reminders that can be applied to the current market. Yeah, I think right now, if you're going to trade this market, uh, you just have to recognize you're going to have to be a little bit more nimble. Uh, I think it's okay to be on the sidelines for a while. There's a lot of there's a lot of overhang here, you know, between the Fed action, uh, we've got still some supply chain issues. We've got uh, the COVID situation that was shutting down uh, over there in China. Uh, we got the war. There's a lot of things. Now, that being said, a lot of times things look the bleakest when the market turn happens. Um, but the best way to know is a market turn happening. Look at the chart because I certainly didn't think it was going to turn back in April. Uh, luckily, I was looking at the charts, and that's what told me a turn was happening in April of 2020. So, I think the same thing is going to apply here. As negative as I might be about everything that's going on, the chart is going to tell me when it's time. Fantastic, Justin. Well, thank you once again, and that's all the time that we have today. Again, appreciate everyone tuning in. Coming up on Monday at noon, we've got Barron Senior Managing Editor Lauren R. Rublin and Deputy Editor Ben Levison, and they are going to talk about the outlook for financial markets, different uh, industries and sectors, and individual stocks. So thank you so much for listening. We hope you all have a great weekend, and we'll see you back here next month for another IBD special of Barron's Live. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.